Hello, hello, and hello, visionaries. Thank you for bringing your beautiful ears right here for this bonus episode of Calm Conversations About Learning. I'm Zanani, your host, doing the most with a breakdown of the Calm Pillars, aka the structures I used in the classroom to guide my vision for effectively educating students, and I'm now repurposing for this podcast and other endeavors. So if you haven't listened to episode one, please back that thing right on up so that you'll have context for this episode. Otherwise, if you're ready for a little pillar talk, yep, doing the most, let's do this thing. So when my sons were growing up, we must have watched The Five Heartbeats, a film about a singing group struggling to make it to the big time in the midst of poverty, bigotry, addiction, and betrayal, like 36 times. Seriously. We would run around for days after watching that movie, quoting our favorite parts. And my son Jordan, well, he seemed to have memorized the entire script. But one of my favorite scenes is when Duck, a member of the group, receives an award for songwriting. In his speech, he shares the story about a journalist who'd written that Duck would become a real songwriter once he experienced his first heartbreak. Well, Duck got his heart broken and he got his music award. I cry every time I watch that scene. My calm pillars, well, they derived from a similar place, which is probably why I cry even harder whenever I watch that scene now. One of my final assignments before graduating teacher school was to compose a teaching philosophy, a statement asserting what I believed about teaching and learning and what I believed about the children that I'd be serving. I remember writing that I believe that all children have the right and the ability to learn. I remember how passionate and idealistic my words were. While I was a late bloomer going into the teaching profession, my teacher spirit was like a shiny new copper penny. Truth was, my teaching philosophy wasn't anywhere near fully formed as my teaching experience had only included student teaching and substitute teaching where I'd basically been borrowing other teachers' students while performing all the tasks to check all the boxes that would allow me to eventually have my own students. It wasn't that I hadn't learned anything about teaching and learning in the teacher program. It's just that I would learn several years later when I came across that teaching philosophy that it was meant to be a baseline for my growth as both an educator and human being. I couldn't have known what my beliefs were on any real level until I came face to face, day after day, year after year with my own students in our own space. I couldn't have known until I'd experienced the stretch and pull and deepening of my values, which I would learn were not as clear as I'd presumed. Like Duck, I would need to experience the heartbreak that would come with teaching children before I could become any good at it. Ultimately, that heartbreak would clarify my values centering upon equity, which receives a lot of press in public education, but not as much in terms of practice. And high expectations, well, it was painfully clear that while some teachers went high, too many teachers were going way low. I mean, like below low. I already knew that all my students had the right and ability to learn. 
I would just have to ensure that equity and expectations were there every day to meet them and more than halfway, as most of them would develop their academic identities during their high school years. So often, teachers enter the classroom with rootless and romantic beliefs about children and what it means to educate them. But if we're romanticizing in one area, you can trust that we are likely romanticizing in all the areas. One of the areas in which I romanticized in my early teaching years was my history with my own childhood teachers. Although I never felt respected, liked, or cared about by most of my K-12 through teachers, I'd managed somehow to bring these old school teachers into my relationships with my students. This often showed up as sarcasm and abruptness. Now, these behaviors, they didn't feel right to be sure, but they felt comfortable. It's like the parent who beats his child, not because he really wants to, but because that's what he knows. That's how his parents disciplined him. It may not feel right, but it's comfortable. But deeper than the behaviors, there were these lurking beliefs that contradicted my teaching values. Turns out that two beliefs cannot take up the same space. For instance, I believed in creating an equitable learning environment. And I also believed that all students needed to meet my expectations regardless of personal issues. Crazy, huh? I knew what I wanted from my students' educational experiences, but I couldn't provide it in a real way. Well, not with my childhood teachers as my backseat drivers. So there would be many fluff-ups, incidents, apologies, and revelations that taught me and moved me toward becoming a teacher and human that students could love, respect, and learn from. And don't worry, there will definitely be more pillar talks that get into the specifics. But let's go ahead and break down the pillars. I just wanted to share the values that supported my vision for my students' education because values are critical to upholding the vision and values must then, though, be enacted to mean something. And it's through the structures that we put into place, the heavy lifting that makes the vision viable. So let's start with a check-in. This is the pillar um, that's part of the restorative practices circle activity, and when facilitated intentionally and regularly can build relationships that are rooted in empathy, respect, and dignity. Why does this matter? Well, because it helps to create connection, develop self-awareness, promote accountability, and it takes the emotional temperature in the classroom in this super efficient way. It's not as woo-woo as one might think. So I've used the check-in weekly to build community with my freshmen and quarterly as a way to provide academic support for my AP and honors juniors. I've also used the harm circle, which I personally refer to as the apology circle, to help students resolve conflicts. The check-in, it represents the strongest pillar because as I've said before, it's the relationship pillar. So the other pillars would be nothing without it. The second pillar is the agenda, which in its simplest terms, of course, is an outline generated to direct the course of a meeting or an event. But I discovered that these little bulleted plans for my classes represented so much more than answering the question, what are we doing today, Miss Mzube, or apprising a visiting principal of what was being learned. The agenda 
It creates safe and brave spaces. It may sound boring, but the consistency of knowing what to expect promotes student agency. And this can be especially empowering for students who don't have much routine or control over the events that occur at home. Providing an agenda and doing my best to adhere to it allowed my students to relax into trusting me, trusting the learning process, trusting the environment. This in turn made it safe for them to ask more questions, take more risks in their work and collaborate more productively. One of my favorite uses of the agenda was for projects because I love me some projects. These were times when the class almost ran itself. It just filled me up to observe as students use the class project schedule to create and manage their own schedules and agendas, whether individual or collaborative. But the agency, the self-management, the interdependence would be nothing without the relationship and community building pillar. The lesson is my third pillar, which of course is central to teaching and learning. I've often heard the term lessons being used interchangeably with the word worksheets. I am not a fan of worksheets, but that's a whole other conversation. What's important to remember is a worksheet can be used as a lesson, but as an activity, as a skill or knowledge builder. Lessons, however, are designed and taught ideally with thoughtfulness and knowledge of students' strengths, challenges, and cultural context. As my lesson planning became less formal and scripted and more layered, intentional, and culturally responsive, the answers to why do I have to read this or write this were answered. As my teaching became more project-based, I noticed that my vision for my students' education became clearer. I started out envisioning them as budding scholars, but as I would observe as their capacities met my expectations, even exceeded my expectations, I had to expand my vision for the movers and shakers, the activists, the artists, the global thinkers that they became. When lessons prove transformative, they might be more aptly called experiences. Best moments born of effective lessons, the creative chaos of lively discourse, the leaned-in engagement where students would be like, it's the end of the period already? the project or presentation that was so creative, so thoughtful, so compassionate that I would be brought to tears. Yeah, they would try to break me. The lesson started out generic, but personalizes through what? That relationship pillar. So management, the last pillar of calm, started out with classroom management. This is where teachers have their four to five rules posted on the wall, one of which always vaguely references the word respect. And desks and chairs are arranged for classroom control. In teacher school, I remember being asked to choose my teaching style. Was my style authoritative? Hmm, yes. Or was my teaching style more democratic? Hmm, yes. Making the distinction between classroom management and management is an important one because according to my teacher vision and values, I was educating for student agency. And this would involve shared responsibility on the parts of my students, as well as the practice of managing self, time, environment, and stuff. How did this look? Well, (laughs) 
messy at first because like slaves who had been suddenly freed, some students would test the parameters while others would sadly refuse to trust that they even had certain freedoms. But over time, it mostly looked like mutual trust and respect. It looked like a student going to the restroom without permission and coming right back, not just because they might miss some critical instruction, but because that was the agreement. It looked like students creating the class norms to promote accountability and because I believe that by the time you get to high school, it's time to begin co-creating the environment you want to work in. Just saying. And so obviously, dropping the classroom from management requires relationship building. And that trust piece, huge. So there you have it. A breakdown of the pillars that support my values, which supported my vision. So now it's your turn. What is your vision for your child's or a student's education? I would love, love, love if you DM'd me at Zanani116 on the Instagram so that I can share your vision with other visionaries on a future episode. I really want this to be a conversation. So let's build. In the meantime, until next time, stay well, stay wonderful, and stay calm.